Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message in our current In the Word series as we journey through the book of Colossians. Let's take a listen. Up to this point, chapter one and chapter two, Paul has simply been reminding these new believers of who they are in Christ. He's simply reminding them of the gospel. And so I know for a lot of us, this message or, or, or even the topics that we've been talking about may seem very elementary, but church, I wanna tell you that we can never get past the gospel. We can only go deeper into it. And so we're gonna pick up today in Colossians chapter two, and I want you to read with me, starting in verse 12. We're gonna read 12 through 14, and then we're gonna end the day with verse 15. So I want you to look with me in verse 12. Paul says that having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, to the cross. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the reminder today of what happens at salvation. We thank you for the promise that we hear in your word, that we see in your word. And God, I pray that today, that maybe someone just came today just to check this off the list. But God, I pray today you would meet them right where they're at. And by your grace, they will be saved. And so God, we thank you for what you've already done this morning. We thank you for what you're gonna to do today. God, allow your word to penetrate our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if because of what we've been seeing, because of what we've been witnessing here in, in our church family, you know, that first line probably jumped off the page to you. When Paul says there that you have been buried with him in baptism, we hear the word baptism and we think about what we've got to witness. Because you realize that um, we, we, we baptized three today. We did one in the first service, two in this service. We've already got some on the list for next week. We've already got some on the list for next week. And what's funny is God really shows us who's in charge because we really did this thing that we were trying to be systematic around here. We're only gonna baptize on the second Sunday of the month. <laughs> God said, really? Who do you think's in charge? So now we just keep the pool up here. And now we just have to fill it up every week. So the water bill keeps going up, but guess what? I don't care about no water bill. We're just gonna keep filling it up. And we're gonna keep baptizing people. We had two more surrender their heart and their life to Christ in the nine o'clock today. And so we just continue to celebrate what God is doing. But you know, when we hear that word baptism, we may think about what God has been doing in 2021 because I think after next week, we'll be approaching, if not exceeding, we have seen 50 people baptized in 2021. Amen. Over 50 people have been baptized in 2021. 
Church, that's not happening everywhere. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no system. It's only the Holy Spirit of God that is drawing people to himself and saving. People are asking, what are y'all doing down there? And y'all know what my answer is, don't you? I don't know. They said, no, really, what are y'all doing? I said, we're preaching the word and loving people. Preaching the word and loving people and God's doing the rest. And the beauty of it is, is people are talking in the community about what God is doing here. There's no band that's being talked about. There's no pastor that's being talked about. There's no staff member that's being talked about, but everything has been saying, have you heard what God is doing at Chestnut Mountain? Church, we can't get over celebrating that. And we will not get over celebrating that. And so we're gonna look today, um, as Paul's talking here, he says that we were baptized with him. We were buried with him in baptism. So our minds automatically go to the baptism that we have seen, that people going through in believer's baptism in this water. But what we have to understand is when we look at the word baptized or baptism, this is kind of, this word has a two-layered meaning. Okay, and so what we're gonna do is kind of help you to understand this two-layered meaning of this baptism word. But there is a literal meaning. The literal meaning is what we're getting to see every week. The literal meaning is when someone is physically dipped or immersed in the water. This is the baptism that is done with hands. If you remember last week, we talked about some stuff being done without hands, but this is an act that is being performed by hand. We had Sam Roberts who was able to baptize with her hands in the first service. I got the opportunity to baptize with my hands in the second service. And so that is the literal meaning of baptism. But here's what we gotta understand. What that is about, it's an outward expression of a spiritual event. It's an outward expression of something that has happened on the inside. It is an emblem that is announcing to the world of who their faith now is in. Now, the best way I know to sum this up is, it's very similar to a wedding ring. If I take my wedding ring off and I lay it over here to the side, does that mean I'm not married? That's the part you say no. I mean, yes, no. I am married. But all this is, is an emblem to announce to the world that I am married, right? My wife gets very angry if I don't have this on, okay? I don't know why. I'm like, honey, I'm 5'7", nobody's really, you know, it is what it is, you know, I'm not the, anyway. But this is an emblem of a covenant that I have made with her. Her wedding ring is an emblem of a covenant that is made with me. However, if that wedding ring is off, it doesn't mean that we're less married. So what we've been seeing is this literal meaning of baptism is when someone is going under the water, is it an announcement to the world of who their faith is in? It's an outward expression of a spiritual event that has happened on the inside. But in the context of what Paul is talking about, what Paul is teaching and what he is reminding the city, the church at Colossae about, he's talking about the figurative meaning, the spiritual meaning of baptism. And the spiritual meaning of baptism is the literal definition or the definition is actually to be placed into something or joining up with something, identified with something. Matthew chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse two. We're not gonna read it, but it references when the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea or crossed through the Red Sea. If you remember, they crossed through the Red Sea on what kind of land? dry land, right? There was no water involved. 
although it was on the right and to the left, and they crossed through on dry land. But when they crossed through on the dry land, it said that in that moment, they were baptized into Moses. They didn't get wet. But what it was is it was the, the symbol or the emblem that now the spiritual side of it is they were identifying themselves with Moses because it's what God had commanded them to do as the children of Israel. And so we see there that that is, they were baptized to Moses or into Moses. They were identifying themselves with him. But in this spiritual baptism, the salvation that we've saw just a moment ago, the salvation that we've been seeing over the last several weeks is the spiritual baptism of salvation. This is something that happens immediately. If you remember the terminology that was used last week, it was talking about for those who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. When we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, when we ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life, in that moment, we are baptized into the family of God. We are joined into the family of God. We are unified. We are identified with him spiritually because of what's happened on the inside. We're no longer trusting ourselves, but we're now placing our faith in trusting in him for the forgiveness of our sins and for our salvation. And so when the spirit draws, we receive Christ. And in that moment, we are baptized into the family of God. We are knitted together with our Lord and Savior. We are knitted together with our Father in heaven. But in that moment of that spiritual moment of, of surrender and that spiritual moment of, of God drawing us to himself and us receiving him, according to the scriptures, our Savior commands us to go public with it. Our Savior commands us to, for lack of better words, to put the wedding ring on because we're to proclaim it, we're to announce it, we're to let everyone know what the saving grace of Christ has done for us and in us and through us. And so what we're gonna do today, and I'll be honest, it's a, it's a little tough to try to communicate this because the language in which Paul is talking, the baptism that he is speaking of here is the salvation, is the spiritual side. But when you look at verses 12 through 14, this is everything that happens at the moment of salvation. And so when someone goes public with their salvation, everything that happens in that water is just an emblem of what has already happened. It's just an emblem of something that has already taken place. So I want you to hear this before we go any further. Baptism saves no one. Going into a baptismal pool has nothing to do with salvation. It does not save you, it cannot save you, and it will not save you. What saves you is when the Holy Spirit of God draws you to himself, you trust in him as Lord and Savior, you die to yourself, and you receive him as Savior. That is salvation. That is the announcement. That is the proclamation. That is you letting everyone know that you've now trusted and placed your faith in him. That's what that is. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna take the scriptures of verses 12 through 14, and we wanna paint the picture of, yes, what happens at the moment of salvation, but we also wanna take the scripture and paint the picture of what is being symbolized in the water. 
what is being painted and what the picture that, that, that I think that God wants us to see and wants us to understand through this announcement of our salvation. And so we're gonna take these verses and we're just gonna simply walk through it so that you can fully understand what that resembles or what it is showing that has happened spiritually on the inside. So when we're saved, we're baptized into the family, now we must announce what has happened to us. And we're gonna look at all of this that it symbols right here, or that it symbolizes right here in this passage. So I want you to look in verse 12. The very first thing he says is that you were buried with him. You were buried with him. Now, I don't think this is really up for discussion, but in order to be buried, you must first be dead, right? We can all agree there, right? If you're being buried and you're not dead, we've got other problems, okay? Some of you may wanna bury people alive, but that's not good either, okay? But in order to be buried, you must first be dead. And so before, that's what Paul talks about. In verse 13, he says that our spiritual condition before we received Christ Jesus as Lord, before we placed our faith in him, our spiritual conditions, the verse says in verse 13 that we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sin. And what that means is that we have no relationship with God. When we are dead in our sins, we are spiritually dead. We are separated from the father who loves us. And so when someone steps into that pool, they're not wet yet. And so what that symbolizes is when they are standing in the pool, they are standing before you as a congregation, as a spiritually dead individual. They are spiritually dead because it's resembling that this was their life before they were buried with him, before they were linked up with him, before they were joined together with Christ. And so when we get into the water, what that is symbolizing is that we were once dead, separated from a God who loves us. But then, it says then, that once we receive him, we are now buried with him. We are buried with him. And so what is represented when, we, when someone is descending into the water? This is the act of us dying to our flesh. This is the act of us dying to our old ways of thinking that I can live a life that I can earn God's love, that, that my salvation has something to do with me. This is us being immersed into the water, going into the tomb with him. And what this represents is I am now dying to my sin nature. I am dying to my old ways. I am dying to my sin because I'm being buried in the tomb with him. And so that's what's represented as we are being immersed into the water is as, as if we were entering into the tomb that Christ entered in after his death on the cross. We are dying to our old way of thinking. But then Paul says that, he says that we were buried with him. So we know that in that moment, we're experiencing the death of our flesh. We're experiencing the death of our old ways, but we are in him. We are with him. And this is the very reason that we practice and we will always practice full immersion under the water because you can't partially be in the tomb. You're either all in or you're all out. 
And so when we're all immersed in the water, this is the the symbol of that we have been buried all the way with him, Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are buried, we are fully immersed into the water. And so I know that we can talk about dying to our flesh, entering into a tomb. And man, that can all seem like just, oh my gosh, what is all this about? This is just depressing but you haven't read the rest of it. You haven't read the rest of it. Verse 12 on through 13. And I may get a little carried away when I read this. So may I try not to. But having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also, see, y'all don't get that word also. Because you realize that when we were buried with him, what it means is when we are with him, we are baptized in him, that everything that is his is now ours. When we are with him, that means we are joined together. So not only is the death ours, not only is the burial ours, but what he's reading next is also ours, okay? Verse 12 through 13, he goes into all the detail. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Remember, we were once dead, but if we're in Christ, we ain't dead no more. When you were dead in your transgressions in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Y'all aren't getting it. We were dead but now we've been made alive, not because of anything we've done, not because of we've overcome this sin, but simply because we are now with him, we are in him, and because of being with him and in him, we are now alive because he is alive. That's what salvation is. And then we go on to say that he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way and he's nailed it to the cross. You see, when we're with him, when we're in him, yes, our flesh is buried. Yes, we are dying to ourselves, but because of what is his is ours, we also now have resurrection. We also now have new life. We were once spiritually dead. We've been buried with him, but now by the grace of God, we are born again. We get to push reset. We get to push delete. Well, we don't do it. He does it for us. But you know, that same victory that is his is ours. And that's what's represented that once you are buried in him, you are fully immersed under the water And then when we pull you out, when whomever pulls you out, this represents new life. This represents the resurrection. This represents that we are no longer dead, but now we are alive with Christ. We are alive in Christ because of the finished work on the cross. But if you remember, after Jesus resurrected from the grave, you remember everybody rushed back to the tomb and they all looked inside the tomb and what did they see? Not was he just not, he wasn't there anymore. But if you remember what was folded up neatly on the bench where Jesus laid was the grave clothes, was the clothes that once bound him up in death. 
And so when Jesus was resurrected out of the tomb, guess what was left behind? The very thing that bound him up in death. So you as a follower of Christ, what is represented when you come up out of that water is that guess what is also left in that water? Everything that used to bound you in your sin, everything that used to bound you to death, it has now been washed clean. It has been wiped away and it had nothing to do with you, but it was all about the shed blood of Jesus Christ through the palms of his hand on the cross of Calvary. And so when we come up out of that, I know some of you may be thinking, man, I've been at churches before. You know, where baptism is just sort of like, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you, this may be your first time, you're like, man, this place just gets rowdy about that stuff. I ain't gonna apologize for it. We're gonna keep getting rowdy about it because church, when someone comes to death to life, when somebody goes from light or from darkness to light, church, we've gotta celebrate And we're never gonna get over that because the supernatural has happened. What has happened is something that man can't do. What is something that I can't do, that you can't do, but that Jesus Christ has ripped you from the hand of death and he has saved you by the grace of God. Last Sunday, I will never forget it. Miss Rachel gave her life to Christ right here. And I remember looking up and turning my microphone on and I said, hell lost another one. You would have thought we were in Athens on a Saturday in the fall. (laughs) These whole front three rows were jumping, were screaming, were whistling. Church, we can't ever get past that. The day that we stand up and say, hell lost another one and you're doing this, just go home. Because we're gonna keep getting excited because it's something worth getting excited for because there's new life. Someone has been born again. But be careful to recognize this victory that we're talking about in the scripture is different from worldly victory because worldly victory is only temporary. You do realize that, right? The victories that we experience here are only temporary. A very cheesy way to paint this picture is I remember in 1993, the Lanierland Championship. How many of you know what Lanierland is? Sam Town, you ain't even in that big of a deal anymore. Lanierland used to be like it. There was nothing else to do in Hall County except Lanierland. But I remember we were up against, I went to North Hall. We didn't win a whole lot. We competed. So here we are facing Gainesville High School in the Lanierland Championship. Do you think we had a shot to win? No, nobody expected us to win, but by gosh, we did. We did. So for one year, if you ask who won, who was the Lanierland Champion? They would have said North Hall. So then 1994 rolls around So you can imagine, will North Hall defend their title? All I can say is that was my junior year, my senior year, we graduated a lot of people. We weren't very good anymore. And needless to say, we met East Hall in the first round. And I think they beat us by like 28. (laughs) So for one year, we were victorious, but that was quickly removed. So I want you to understand that the victories that we experience in this life, you may be victorious for a season, but there's coming a season when you lose. Yeah. 
The victories that we have in this life, maybe you think if you achieve this at the workplace, you achieve this in your family, that you will have victory. Can I tell you that there is not a victory that will last outside of Jesus Christ? It may be good for a moment, it may be good for a season, but if it's outside Christ, it will not last. And this victory that we celebrate in Christ is for eternity. The victory that we celebrate through the cross is one that will never be taken away. And church, that's where our hope comes from. That's where our life comes from, is this victory that is celebrated in the scripture. But you know, when Christ, when he claimed the victory by overcoming death, hell, and the grave, I want us to pay close attention to what happened to his rival, what happened to his enemy. Because you understand that as long as the the rival or the enemy, whoever we're competing against, as long as they are still armed, there's still the possibility for them to defeat us. Whoever you're coming up against, if they are still armed with what can overcome you, then you're always gonna face the potential of defeat. But look what Christ did when he overcame the grave, when he overcome death. Verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. You see right here in this moment, this verse 15 is the very thing that happened when Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave, when he came out of the tomb alive. But the very thing that was just read in verse 15 is the very same thing that happens every single time somebody surrenders their heart and their life to Christ. The enemy is disarmed. The enemy has no more power. The enemy is done. And you see, there's three things that happened to him. There's three things that happened to him when Christ was resurrected. And there's three things that happened to him every time that we get to celebrate someone giving their life to Christ. You see, the three things are this. He was stripped. He was shamed. And he was triumphed. He was stripped. He was shamed. And he was triumphed. Now you may think, well, what is he stripped of? Look at verse 14. Verse 14 tells us what he was stripped of. When Christ resurrected from the tomb, when we trust Jesus Christ as Lord, verse 14, it caused it to having the canceled out, the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees that were against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He was stripped of his power to condemn. You see in Revelation, Revelation calls Satan, calls the enemy, calls all of the rulers and the authorities of this air, of the air, the the accuser. You see the accuser, is a legal term and we would all understand it as kind of a prosecuting attorney. And so what the enemy's job is to do, and I read this this week in a commentary, and I'll be honest, I wanted to get up in my office and just run around a little bit because it was pretty exciting. 
Because you realize that outside of Christ, before we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the accuser, Satan himself, he has all of the evidence that condemns us guilty before a holy and a righteous God. He has all of our past. He has everything, a list, so he can present this as the prosecuting attorney so that the God of our judge will find us guilty. But you see, the article that I read, I tell you, I was out almost shouting on my desk, everything else, but it said he was disarmed. So what was he stripped of? What was he disarmed of? Here's the picture that was painted. You see, as the prosecuting attorney, when he, when he approaches the throne and he, he has all of the evidence that condemns us guilty, in the moment of our salvation, the hand of an almighty God takes the power that he has and he reaches over to the hand of Satan who has all of this condemning evidence to prove us guilty. And Jesus said, there with me, I've got it. And they pulls the con condemnation from his hand. He pulls the list of our wrongs and he stretches his hand on the cross of Calvary and it is penetrated by the nail that held him there. And guess what? In that moment, the enemy is now disarmed. He has no power to condemn. He has no power to send us to hell because everything was accomplished when Jesus Christ said, they're mine. They're mine. And so church, this is why we celebrate. Because when we trust Jesus Christ as Lord, the power of his hand reaches and grabs all of the evidence from the accuser, and he says, uh-uh, it's gone. They're mine. And so in that moment, he has all authority stripped. He has all the power taken from him to condemn us. Romans 8, 1 says that. For those who, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're in Christ Jesus, the enemy has no power to condemn. It's all been taken away. He's been stripped of it. He has been disarmed of the very thing that we were found guilty of. But then it said he was made a public display of also, that he was shamed. This is something that the Roman culture was very familiar with because when a Roman soldier or Roman army would, would defeat their enemy, what they would do in victory is they would bring their enemy in and strip them of all of their armor. They would strip them of all of their clothing and they would make a parade through the city to humiliate them because once was an arrogant soldier, now has been shamed because they have no power. They have no victory because it had already been taken. Do you realize that every single time that we stand on this stage and we announce that hell lost another one, do you realize the enemy is shamed? Do you realize that the enemy is being made a public display of humiliation? because he thought he was strong enough to hold you. He thought he was strong enough to bound you in your sin. He thought he was bold and strong enough to keep you in the chains, but we serve a God who says, nope, they're mine and I'm gonna break those chains. And church, that is why we celebrate. So every time we stand and we say that hell lost another when we are making a public display of the enemy's weakness, but yet we're glorifying the power of our father and his strength. So he's made a public display of, and then lastly, he's triumphed. This is just the power of the resurrection. 
He's defeated. It's done. It is finished. There's no more power to condemn us. And so all of that, all of this that takes place, all that is exemplified when we come through the waters of baptism is that we enter in into the waters as dead because of our sin. The Holy Spirit of God draws us to himself and then we are buried with him. We are getting in the tomb with him, meaning that we're dying to our flesh, we're dying to the power of the enemy. And then when we're coming out, everything that's his is ours. We are now resurrected and made alive in Christ. That's why we beat the drums a little louder. That's why we whistle, that's why we clap. That's why we shout, because it represents new life in Christ. So as we've talked about this word baptism today, we understand that there is two layers of this word. Yes, the literal meaning is when someone follows through in believer's baptism. But the spiritual meaning of it is, is when we are linked together with Christ. So I wanna pose two questions this morning. Number one, there's no doubt in my mind that there's people in this room that if I ask you, have you been saved by the grace of God? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord? You would say, yes, I've given my life to Christ. I follow Jesus, I've surrendered to him. I have trusted in him for the forgiveness of my sin because I know I can't do it. I know I've been saved by the grace of God. So the question I ask you, have you gone public with it? Have you put on the wedding ring? Have you announced it? You know, and I know there's some people in the room, you may be saying, well, Brian, man, I'm, I was saved when I was 13 or 14 and I'm like 45 to 50 now. And that was just so long ago. It's kind of been forgotten about. So I'm good. According to the scriptures, he commands us to make it public. It's not a check it off the list thing to do, but you ought to be so excited about the spiritual happening in your life that you ought to want the world to know. You wanna shout it from the rooftops and you've heard it said so many times that baptism is kind of that first step of obedience. But also what baptism is about, it's in many cases, it's the first time that somebody gets to share their story. And I don't mean literally that we stick a microphone in your mouth and you share the story, but you realize with every baptism is a story. You were once dead, you were buried with Christ, now you've been made alive. That's the story. And you have an opportunity to tell your story. And so when we give an opportunity to respond in just a minute, maybe you've never followed through with believer's baptism. I encourage you to do that today. 
I encourage you to make it public today. I encourage you to put on the wedding ring today. But now from the spiritual side of baptism, I ask the question, have you been joined together with Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.